sinner now saved, blood washed by the Lamb. My brother's a king, the son of I am. Sometimes I forget to whom I belong. Then the sweet spirit cries, my child, I'm still on the throne. And still on the throne. So what could be wrong? It is well with my soul. Let the stormy winds blow. I'm reminded today. Thank God I am saved. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on. He's still on the throne. Old Satan has power, and sometimes I'm weak. At times I give up, and he walks over me. Then someone comes by with words loud and strong. Oh, rise, my child. Still on the throne, and he's still on the throne. So what could be wrong? It is well with my soul. Let the stormy winds blow. I'm reminded today. Thank God I am saved. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on. He's still on the throne. And he's still on the throne, so what could be wrong? It is well with my soul, let the stormy winds blow. I'm reminded today, thank God I am saved. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on, he's still on the throne. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on. He's still on the throne. Well, we're so glad to have each of you with us today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, as uh, Brother Kavanaugh said, we are thrilled to have you here. Make sure you stop by our Welcome Center. We do have something for you there. But again, it is our honor and privilege to have you with us today. And uh, we certainly are excited about uh, today. This is kind of a, we have a promotion going on in the last couple of weeks, three weeks actually we've been going. This is the last Sunday of it, but again, uh, we trust and hope and pray that uh, not only will you visit with us today, but you'll continue to come. If indeed you uh, need a church home, we certainly would be thrilled to be a part of that and to encourage you. It's uh, evident in the Word of God that we need three homes in our life. We, we need a, an earthly home, we need a heavenly home, but we also need a church home. And uh, we want you to have a church home today. If you don't have one and you have any other questions, by all means, uh, give me a call or let me know. And we'll be do, do all we can to, to uh, answer any questions that you might have. Well, anyway, we're in the middle of a series right now. We're dealing with a series, The Return uh, of, of Jesus Christ and um, The Return of Christ. And well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's uh, those kind of series that encourage us, I believe. They really uh, kind of motivate us. Uh, they're a blessing to us because we see the future. We recognize that uh, we are on the winning side. And that although things may not always seem uh, to be uh, in our favor, uh, we know that how it ends. And that's a blessing. Amen? 
And so take your Bible, if you would, today. Turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. We're going to start there as we're going to deal today with the Revelation. Now I'm going to, again, kind of, if I can find my clicker here. Oh, there it is. We're going to show you a couple things here real quick. Again, last week we uh, started talking, and we're just going to show this for a moment. We're not going to spend a lot of time. But we're going to be looking again where, where we sit here. We've got the, am I, am I on today? Anybody? Okay, you good? Okay, good. I, I just, I turned this way and didn't hear anything. All right, the, the birth of Jesus Christ, of course. We have our prophet, Calvary, of course. We have the church itself, uh, uh, the church age in which we're in now. And then we have what's called the tribulation period that kicks off. We have the Antichrist. We have the, the, so that we have the rapture prior to that. We have the revelation after the seven-year tribulation, the reign of Christ, the new heaven, new earth, all of those things taking place. We said that our prophets in the past and the old, they looked over uh, history and uh, they, they kind of missed some things. Like, and it's not because they missed them because they were, uh, you know, uh, they, they just were uh, rebellious or anything. They just missed them because as they saw it being given to them, they, they weren't always aware of everything that they were seeing. They're just recording it as they're seeing it, as they're being told it. They're writing it down as God gives it to them. And so they saw uh, all the events of the future as uh, all separate peaks of one mountain. Whereas in reality, they were separate mountain peaks, if you will. And for instance, the church age in which we now live, that valley, if you will, as I have it uh, laid out here, is not seen uh, by them. They kind of overlooked, went, looked right over top of it, and they went right from Calvary, the first coming of Jesus Christ, to the second coming of Christ. And so all of it got kind of put together. But in reality, we're going to see that there are two comings, as we've noted already. We have the first coming where he comes in a manger as a child, as, as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then we have him coming back again later on in the second coming. And we said that the second coming is when he's going to actually return to the earth, establish his kingdom. Now, the second coming, as we noted already, it comes in two parts or two stages. We said it, the first part, the rapture, where he doesn't come all the way down, but he comes down to the clouds and he receives up into the air or into his presence those that have put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the rapture. That's the first part of the second coming. Then we have the second part, the revelation. And that's, of course, where he literally returns now and uh, establishes his kingdom. And we're going to look at that today. That's the, the coming we're going to actually look at. Of course, we, we noted the rapture already. We talked last week, uh, and this week we want to talk about the revelation. And so uh, that's what we're going to focus our attention on for right now. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and put that off here. Let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 6 together. Beginning in verse 12, I'll read it aloud. You read silently with me, if you would, please. It says... <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her ultimate on untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand well, I tell you what, this is a different picture than the first coming. A lot different than Jesus Christ coming as a humble child to be placed in a humble manger. Now he comes back and we're going to note a few things about that return that ought to encourage us and help us, but also engage us 
more thoroughly and more, um, uh, with more effort in the work of Christ. But notice here again, we have this, this church age, and we have the cross of Christ, we have the church age. Of course, that's lasted now for almost 2,000 years. That's 2,000 years already, and uh, it's still going. And the, the event we're waiting for as believers is the rapture of the church. That's the next big event on our calendar and in the Bible is the rapture or the return of Christ. Now, again, the Bible doesn't use the word rapture, but it is a catching away of his children and believers in Christ. And so that's the big event. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We noted it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We realized it in, first, in Revelation chapter 4. And so we noted those passages. We uh, uh, understood what they were referring to, what they're implying, and what they uh, teach us. And boy, I'll tell you what, we have a great hope today. It's called the blessed hope. We're not going to be left here forever. We're going back to be with the Lord. And boy, that's a good thing. And so the rapture is going to take place. So we have the present age, the church age, the rapture of the church. And then after the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation will kick off. That's that seven years. We'll talk a little bit about it by way of summary. And then, of course, then comes, after that seven years, the revelation or return of Jesus Christ to the earth to establish his visible physical kingdom. And so we're looking forward to that. Now, as we uh, recognize the rapture, we move into the tribulation. And so I want to take just a few moments and I want to talk a little bit about that tribulation just so we can set the background so we understand what's taking place as the Christ prepares to return. And so before we get into anything, let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll move along today. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have in your presence. Thank you for these that have made their way here. May you, Father, simplify all this matter. Lord, it's, it's not as complicated as it may sound. But, Lord, there, there is a timeline, and we have to follow your timeline. You say we must rightly divide the word of truth. And, Lord, we're doing our best to do that today. We're asking, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us, that he would drive home truth, that, Lord, he would enable us, Lord, to be, Father, just instructed and encouraged and, Father, just enabled, Father, to accomplish what you've called us to do. Now, Lord, again, may we take this, this information, may we take these truths, and may we apply them to our life, and may we, Father, be more inspired to serve you, to love you, and to obey you simply because of it. Now, Lord, bless us and fill me with your spirit. Lord, help me to be your mouthpiece today and be with everyone that's listening. May our ears be anointed. And, Father, help us to leave here better for having come. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the rapture of the church, as we said, has already taken place. And we're going to, it's going to, it was pictured by John, of course, the Apostle John in chapter 4 of Revelation. As he heard that trumpet, we talked about that trumpet, and boy, I'll tell you what, the church is taken out, uh, and boy, I'll tell you what a wonderful time that will be for us as we're gathered together with the Lord. He says, and after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, and said, which said, come up hither. And I mean, John being a picture of the church, we see him chapter 4, after chapters 2 and 3, as we noted last week, picturing the church age. Following that church age, boom, that, that trumpet sounds, that voice, come up hither, and bam, we're gone. And then, then the tribulation kicks off. Then we see things happening here on earth that none of us want to be a part of, none of us want to be present for, and so we see that tribulation kicking off. We note the rise of Antichrist during that time. And again, we know that Antichrist is at work already. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in the Word of God. But we know that he himself, the Antichrist himself, will not truly be revealed till he which now letteth is, 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 is taken out. 
And we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So when the Holy Spirit of God is removed and He lives within us, you and I, so when we're taken out, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of us and out of the world. And then He'll come and He'll do work specifically in people as He did in the Old Testament during the tribulation period. But we as a people, having the presence of Christ in us, will all be gone. And the Bible teaches that then and only then will the true... uh, antichrist be revealed I, I i sometimes marvel at people that are trying to oh well this person's the antichrist this person's the antichrist well I, I, you can guess at it you can go ahead and have a good time trying to figure it all out but in the end you don't know neither do i he won't be revealed till we're gone Amen. that's the biblical position okay so i don't know who the antichrist is you say but this guy certainly looks like he could be the antichrist well he may appear to be i mean there throughout the ages people have pointed at people and said that's the antichrist and then it, it wasn't and, and that's the it wasn't you get where I'm going with this? Okay, so I'm not going to be, I'm not in the business of trying to figure out who the Antichrist is because I won't be here anyway, and it's not really my problem. Uh, that's up to God. You know, he knows what's going on there. I'll leave that to him. What I do know is that I have a responsibility right now where I am to do what I need to do and focus on the folks I need to focus on. And so I'm going to focus on the work of God and the will of God for my life, and uh, I'll let God worry about who that guy is down the road. But nonetheless, the rise of Antichrist. In the book of Daniel, we see something about that rise. Verse 21, chapter 11 of Daniel. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. How's the Antichrist going to assume leadership? He's going to flatter. He's going to have a wonderful tongue. He's going to be a gifted speaker. He's going to have the ability to woo people and to, to, to convince people and to influence people. He's going to be a tremendous personality. He's not going to come out with horns and a pitchfork. He's not going to say, guess what? I am Antichrist. No, he won't do that. He'll appear to be the Savior of the world. He'll appear to be the one who can rescue mankind from all their problems. And so we see the rise. And, of course, he'll take charge of what's called a ten-federated kingdom. There'll be like ten nations combined into one. He will be the head of that, and he will rule the world as a result of this federated kingdom. And then he's going to do something else that's interesting. He's going to go ahead and enter into a peace treaty with Israel. We know that in the Middle East there's been constant chaos and confusion for centuries and even and, 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 and for thousands of years even. And he's going to somehow bring peace by entering into a treaty. Well, he's going to do the impossible or so-called or appear the impossible uh, by, by entering into this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant for many for one week. Now, one week in prophecy time is seven days. And, and we know here that the week referring to um, that last week uh, of Jeremiah's prophecy, Daniel's prophecy, if, if you will. And, and so what we have is seven years. And those years are 360-day years, not 365-day years. So we have seven years that he's talking about. And so he's going to enter into a covenant with Israel, a seven-year covenant, a peace treaty, a seven-year peace treaty. And the Bible says, in the midst of the week, he shall cease the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. What he's talking about is, in the middle of that seven years, he's going to go ahead and renege, if you will, on that contract. He's going to, uh, he's going to say, forget it. All bets are off. All contracts are off. I'm shredding it up. There's no longer peace with Israel. As a matter of fact, he is going to go on the war path and try to devour and destroy Israel completely at that point, three and a half years into the covenant. And ultimately, 
the character of that time is going to be a very difficult time. It's going to be a horrible time, the tribulation period. We talked about Revelation 6 earlier. We read chapter 6, verse 12 through 17. But what we can do uh, in order to summarize it is simply say this. What's going to characterize the tribulation period? Here are some things. One, war. Two, death. Three, famine. And four, pestilence. All of those things will be very, very evident and will be very uh, a normal, commonplace during that seven-year tribulation. <clears throat> as advanced as mankind is, there will still be war. As, as wise and as, as, as informed as mankind is, there will still be death, famine, and pestilence. There's no way of getting around it. It's going to be a horrible time. And like I said, in the middle of that seven-year tribulation, he is going to uh, change his character. I mean, he, the Bible says he's going to receive a deadly wound in the middle of that time period, that seven years. And when he rises up out of his bed of affliction... He rises up none other than full-fledged Satan incarnate. And let me tell you something. He declares war on God's people. And he is not the same flattering um, politician that he was. He's going to be a raving maniac. And he is going to demand worship from all. And uh, I'll tell you what. It's not going to be a pretty sight. He's going to break that peace treaty, as we said. And then he's going to chase Israel right on out into the wilderness. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, and which keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is going to go after God's people and those that are being faithful to the word of God. He's going to set up an idol of himself in the temple during that time. The very place where Israel will worship during the tribulation period, he's going to kick them out. He's going to set up an idol of himself, just like uh, Nebuchadnezzar did. This time it will be in the temple. And he'll expect people to worship him, not God, but him. And so that's the kind of situation that we find ourselves in. A period of time where the devil is going to be basically become man incarnate, just like God became incarnate. And he's going to be on earth. He's going to enter into to a contract with people. He's going to break the contract. He's going to go after people. He's going to require a mark called the mark of the beast. It's going to be a horrible time during that seven-year tribulation. Horrible time. Then comes the revelation of Jesus Christ. After seven years, when Jesus came the first time, he came a lamb. Again, John the Apostle said, he seeth Jesus coming, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus came a, a lamb. Boy, I'll tell you what, they treated him like dirt. They spit upon him. They ripped his beard out. They put a, a, beat him with a cat of nine tails. Can you imagine being whipped with a cat of nine tails? And again, I don't want to go into all the detail. We don't have time today, but a horrible situation. Just just ripping the flesh off of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and placing a crown of thorns upon his head. I mean, then dragging it, causing him to go through the streets in humiliation, hanging on a cross naked before the world that he created. Can't even fathom, can't even imagine for a moment the, 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 the pain and the suffering and the agony. And not only that, but I got to believe the utter disappointment. Jesus came a lamb 2,000 years ago. He came a savior. That's a wonderful thing. 
But all that will be different when he comes the next time. That will all be different. Because when he returns following the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 5, was we note those set, that seven-sealed book. Remember, in Revelation there's a book and it explains and it opens up and it and tells us about that tribulation period. It says, man, uh, John says, I don't, I don't see anybody that can open the book. There's nobody worthy to open the book. And he says, oh yeah, there's one worthy. It's the Lamb, Jesus himself. And Jesus opens the book there in Revelation and begins to reveal some things. And in that passage, in those passages, he reveals himself to be, and this is, this is wonderful, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He, recognize, he, he reveals himself in Revelation 5.5. 5, and one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven sealed, seals thereof. So Jesus Christ doesn't come a lamb now. He comes a lion now. There's a big difference, isn't there? I don't mind meeting up with lambs. But I don't want to meet no lion. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and that's just very practical, but it's very serious. And he's not going to return that helpless lamb anymore. He's going to return a ferocious lion prepared to devour his foe. Now, I want to take a few moments today and I want to consider and talk about a few aspects of the second coming. And so, if we could, turn to Revelation chapter 19 now. And let's look at this second coming. So we've had the church age. We've had the rapture. We're gone. By the way, we're being judged at the judgment seat of Christ while this is taking place, while the tribulation is taking place on earth. And now here we have this tribulation taking place. And, of course, Antichrist rises to power. He enters into these, this contract and covenant with Israel. Everything seems to be going wonderfully at that point, but all of a sudden everything falls apart as he receives a deadly wound and then rises up. Whether it appears he rises from the dead or he does, I'm not sure 100%, but what I do know is it will appear that he did. And then all of a sudden he's a new man. Not a good one, but a new one. And, boy, he is on the war path. And, boy, he's issuing his mark. He's demanding that people uh, uh, worship him. And boy, I'll tell you what, he chases Israel out into the wilderness. And all along, God is pouring out his wrath on the earth through plagues. Just, I mean, just horrible things. Just like in, in um, Egypt, those plagues, those, many of those will be repeated again during the tribulation period. And so we see that as we read through the book of Revelation. And now, seven years is up. And now we have the revelation, the return of Jesus Christ. Here it is, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. We notice a few things about the passage and from the passage about the return of Christ, the the second coming, the final revelation as he returns to earth. First of all, we see heaven opened. We see heaven opened here. Now, the first time we saw heaven open was in chapter 4, remember? We talked about it just a moment ago with John, the apostle. Heaven was opened. He, he heard that voice, that trump that sounded as a voice, come up hither, and out went the church. At that point in your Bible, 
after that, that portion of Scripture, we then have the tribulation being described to us in the book of Revelation. The next time we see heaven opened is when Jesus now is returning to the earth. So we have the rapture. That's the last time we see earth in the book of Revelation. I mean, uh, that we see uh, uh, the church. And then the next time we're going to see the church, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is chapter 19 now, as Christ is literally returning to the earth. Seven-year period there, split there. So rapture, seven years, return. Chapter 4, chapter 19, we see heaven open. And so Matthew 24, 29 describes this time. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everyone's going to see Him coming now. And I don't know, somebody says, well, how are they going to see Him coming if they're on this side of the globe, on that side of the globe? I don't know. Maybe they've got cable TV. I don't know. Maybe there's a camera and they're watching and they're going, we got a special report. We're breaking into the middle of every program in the, in the world and saying, look at this. And they got to, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. But what I do know is I believe the Bible. And I know that people in the earth, the tribes of the earth, are going to see the Lord Jesus Christ descending, coming back to earth. Well, it's going to be a big event. It's going to be, a, it's going to be big time. Heaven's going to be opened. Heaven will be opened. But we also see a horse and a rider. Now, again, it says, Behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Again, a white horse. That's interesting. You know, chapter 19, uh, the rider of chapter 19 here that we're reading about now cannot be confused with the rider of chapter 6 in Revelation because we saw a rider on a horse there as well. And if we took the time to look at it, we're going to find that that rider in chapter 6 of Revelation, on a white horse, as you will, is none other than the Antichrist himself rising to power. It's not the same rider. This is not the same one. Chapter 6 of Revelation, chapter 19. So if you're ever reading through your Bible and you read about this rider in chapter 6, it's not the same rider of chapter 19. Um, in chapter 6, we've got this rider that has a bow but no arrows. And he also has a crown. <laughs> well, guess what? He don't need arrows. Why? Because he rises to power through flattery. You, you get what I'm saying? Again, it all points to the Antichrist, and it's very clear. Again, he's a brilliant status, uh, uh, st- strategical, a very uh, influential and charismatic type leader. He doesn't need arrows, and he doesn't need warfare. He's going to do it politically and through, democracy, uh, through, uh, through, through talking and sharing and convincing. Now... We then come to the writer of chapter 19, and notice his name in chapter 19. His name is Faithful and True and the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? Well, we know who that is. That's a dead ringer, right? The Word of God? That's easy to know who that writer is. If he's the Word of God, then we know John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And he goes on in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who's that? None other than Jesus Christ. So the writer of chapter 19 is Jesus Christ returning now to the earth. So in chapter 4, we see the church being taken out, pictured by the apostle John, 
receiving that, hearing that trumpet, hearing the voice, come up hither. Then we have the tribulation taking place between chapters, basically the end of chapter 5, chapter 5, right on through chapter, uh, up to chapter 19. So 5 through 18, basically, we'll say. Now chapter 19 shows up, and guess what? Here comes the return of Christ now. Those are both elements, the rapture and the revelation, return of Christ, part of that return. There's two events, but in the middle is that tribulation. We have missed the tribulation period. Nothing to do with it at all. Not middle tribulation taken out, not end of tribulation taken out, but before tribulation taken out. So here we are now, chapter 19, Jesus Christ is returning. He's identified as the Word of God. He's faithful and true. We see that. Number three, though, we notice the armies which were in heaven followed him. So heaven opens. We see this rider on a white horse, none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Word of God. And now we have the armies which were in heaven who follow him. In verse 14, the Bible says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, these... It's interesting because we are going through a judgment. While the earth is being judged by God for murdering the martyrs, for rejecting the word, for denying Jesus Christ, we are being judged for our works, not our salvation, not our sin, but for what we've done since we've been saved. You know, where are you at with that? What have you done with what I've given you? How, how responsible have you been with the tools I've given you, including the presence of Jesus Christ and the personal Holy Spirit, including my presence and power in your life and ministry? Have you truly maxed out your potential for me? Because that's what I'm going to be judging at the judgment seat of Christ. What sort of Christian you were, how faithful and how committed and how yielded to me you were. Not whether or not you deserve to be in heaven, whether your sin should be judged or not. No, that's was judged on Calvary. Amen. So we're not, it's not a sin judgment. It's going to be, in a sense, a works judgment. What have we done with what God's given us? Now, when that's all said and done, we'll have our new bodies at that point. The Bible talks about it in Philippians, a body like unto Christ. And the people that you see coming back with the Lord and, and these linens, white and clean, are none other than the saints. It's us. It's us. We're coming back with him. Say, so we're the armies? Yeah, but hold on. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get bloody. You're not going to get dirty. You're not going to have to shoot one gun or swing one axe or shoot any arrows. You won't have to do any of that. Watch, because before it's over, we'll see how it ends. But he's talking about us. Again, we've received our new bodies. We've been through the judgment seat. And now, here we are in white following our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said we'd ever be with him, and now we're with him still. Even as he returns, we're with him. So we see the armies which were in heaven following him. In chapter 19 of Revelation also, number 4, we notice he's coming in judgment, though. He's coming in judgment. Revelation 19, verse 15 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. When Jesus Christ returns, a major battle is going to take place. Now, remember, Antichrist has risen to power, and now he's issued this 
this decree. You will receive the mark, 666. You will have to or you won't be able to eat or live or pay bills. You will uh, lose your head, so to speak, if you do not take this mark. And if you will not, worship me. Now, the mark identifies you as his property, by the way. The mark says, I've given myself to him. So anyone that takes the mark is really saying, he is my God. He's my head. So now we have those that are receiving it. We have some that didn't, of course. There'll be much small, uh, fewer and far between, of course. But we've got the, the Antichrist who doesn't want to let go of what he has now acquired. I run the earth. I am in charge of everything. These are my people now. And the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And let me tell you, he's not going to give it up easily. There's going to be a battle that ensues. We often refer to that battle as Armageddon. That's why I say sometimes when people look at things going on in the Middle East and they say, oh my, it's setting up for Armageddon. Well, it might be setting up, but let me tell you something. It's not going to be at least for seven years because I won't be here whenever, uh, when, when that thing's even getting, I mean, I, I'm not going to be here for Armageddon except coming back down. I, I won't be here, you know, worried about getting drafted, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Because I, I, where's, where's, where's Mark O'Donnell at? I don't know. He left seven years ago. I haven't seen him since. Well, you need to find him because we need some people to fight. We got the Lord's coming back, and we're going to have a big battle over here. And oh, no, I'll be gone. As a matter of fact, they'll see me the next time they see me is when I come with him. Amen. And so the passage now talks about that battle, and it's interesting how it refers to it. I, I want to. I want to look at. Take your Bible. Look at chapter 19. But we're going to read past where we did. So look at verse 19 through 21 now. I mean, he's not coming back. This Lamb of God anymore. He's not coming back to say, "Oh, you know what? All right, you guys, you're just human. I made you that way. You couldn't help acting the fool and wanting to destroy my people and destroy me and murder all those that I sent to you to try to help get you saved. It's okay. That's not how he's going to come back." not coming back a little little a child in a manger this time he's coming back a ferocious line folks he's not playing around and notice how it ends here here he comes now the return of christ the, the the second part the revelation the second part of the return here he is now coming back and i saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the, the horse and against his army who's sitting on the horse Jesus Christ, remember? He's the rider. And against his army? Can you imagine how... I'm, that's, you know, here I am. Right? I don't know about you, but here I, I'm part of it. I'll be part of that army. I hope you will be too. Notice he goes on to say, And the beast was taken. Wait, let's go back and read that. We missed something. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Okay, let's, let's read about the battle. And the beast was... Wait a second. We're missing something. There's no... What's going on here? Where's, the, where's he describing the battle? Okay, come on. There's got to be some arrow shot, right? I mean, it's got to be a big war, right? It's Armageddon. It's going to be horrendous. Yeah, it's going to be horrendous, but hold on a second. Notice how quickly this ends. And the beast was taken. Well, he's the head of the army that's opposing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's taken. That's the next thing we read about. That's, that's the battle. Here it is now. 
It's amazing. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and which deceived, which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Those that followed the Antichrist, those that followed his leadership, here they are now. They're going to be slain. How are they slain? By, oh, yeah, I'm wielding a sword. Here I am, Lord. Let me, let me at him. How many of you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Come on now. I'm talking about the old one, the good one. I don't, know if, I don't even know if there is a new one, but I'm just saying they make an old. But, man, that old one was good. You know, that, that line. He's ready to go after him. You know, have you ever seen that line, that cowardly line? Until it's time to fight, and then he's like, Ooh. I used to be able to talk like him. I'd have to hear him one time, and I could talk like him. But I, I like that. I, you know, I, I think about that here. That's me. I'm like that lion. I don't, but you know what? I, I can act all tough and everything, but I won't have to swing a sword. I'm not going to have to hold a shield. I'm not going to do anything but stand behind the Lord. Go get him, tiger. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm with you all the way. I'm behind you 100%. That'll be me. That'll be you if you're a child of God coming back with the Lord when he returns here. And again, it says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceedeth out of his what? Mouth. That's amazing. Now, I, I've seen some cool swords in my day. But I've, I, I've seen people, you know, have like, like little swords in their boot or something, you know, that, and then, whew, you know, cool stuff. Like I've never seen a sword. Somebody go, all right, let's get ready to fight. I've never seen a sword fly out of someone's mouth. And then still going like, I've never seen that. You say, that's ridiculous. You're nuts. You're crazy. Why would you even say stuff? Because, see, that's, what's being, that's what it sounds like. Sword comes out of his mouth and he devours the remnant that we're with, the Antichrist following his leadership. But remember what his name is? The Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hey, but we know according to Ephesians chapter 6 that the Word of God is a sword. Now, now, this is interesting and it's very important to understand because what it basically teaches us is how the battle's going to go. Here we come. You've gathered together. You've got all your supplies in place. You've got all your, your people in place. And boy, the, the battle's in, ready to ensue. And here comes Jesus Christ riding on that horse along with you and I who have followed him in our life. And now we follow him into the future. Here we are now, his warriors behind him as he comes down and he takes the false prophet and he takes the beast and he casts them into the lake of fire. And then he goes, be done. That quick, they're destroyed. That quick, the blood rises to the bridles. And the birds of the air pick their bodies for what's left on them. He speaks, just like he spoke creation into existence. Just like he spoke creation, he will speak and bring that whole army to demise. That's how powerful God we serve. This isn't some drawn out battle this isn't something that's going to last for years and years and years and years he's going to speak Malachi 4 verses 1 through 3 says for behold the day cometh thou shalt burn as an oven 
and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness. It's interesting, it's not S-O-N, Son of Righteousness. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, he calls him S-U-N, Son of Righteousness. Isn't that interesting? I think that's so wonderful. Again, pointing to the Son is a picture of Christ. And boy, I tell you, we learned so much about him from that. But nonetheless... Is the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Who's going to do it? He is. So it's amazing. Judgment going to take place. He's going to, he's going to make right all the wrongs. Man, we, we, we live in this world, and there are times the injustices of this world overwhelm us. And we think to ourselves, where's God at? How can he let and permit this kind of atrocities to take place? Why would he allow some, some innocent child to be horrifically hurt? And we get so upset sometimes. And understandably so to some degree. But don't ever forget that no one loves them like he does. Don't ever forget that he is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And may I say, He will return and He will right all the wrongs. Amen. He'll put things in perspective. Because see, when He returns, as we see in this passage, chapter 19 of Revelation, He returns a king. In Revelation 19, 16, our passage again, it says, And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written. Excuse me, what's your name, sir? What's your name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you imagine? All right, let me get down on my knees. You're the king. You're Lord. And may I say that is a very repulsive name to anyone that is opposed to bowing. You're no king to me. You're no Lord of my life. I'll live and do as I please. I need nobody telling me what to do, mister. And right now, God, in His grace, permits man to talk to Him like that. Let me tell you something. When He comes back, a furious lion... A ferocious lion. Nobody's going to oppose him when he says, I'm king of king and lord of lords. At that point, the Bible tells us, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. He's coming back a king. Now, as we close today, the reality and the truth is is that you can get away with shaking your fist at God to some degree in this life. You can choose to live your life as you please. And God, giving you free will, will, will say, okay, fine, live as you please, do as you please. I personally would prefer that you come to me 
Acknowledge me as creator. Acknowledge me as savior. Allow me to be a part of your life. But honestly, I've created you. I want you to voluntarily come to me. It's your decision. I won't make you do anything. It's up to you. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it scares me to think, uh, to, to consider shaking my fist at God. But may I say there are people across the world that do it on a consistent basis. There are those that mock God. There are those that make fun of God. There are those that deny God. There are those that say there is no God. How many people do we run into knocking on doors today that will say things like this that we really didn't hear, say, 20 years ago so often, but we're hearing it more and more all the time? Not at every door, not really at that many doors at all, comparatively speaking, but I hear it more now than I did 20 years ago. I'm an atheist. You're a what? I'm an atheist. What, what's that mean? And you know what they usually say? Well, I really don't want to talk about it. You know why? Because they really don't even know what they are. I'm about sick and tired of people teaching their children to be atheists. I hate it. I hate that. You say, well, they have a right to teach one. I know, we're in America. And thank God that we as believers, as Christians, don't believe everybody has to be a Christian or they die. You can live, do what you want. You can, you can serve any God you choose in America. At least that's what we were founded on. And you should be able to worship your God and uh, worship according to your conscience. That's what we believe. But let me tell you something. As a person, I'm allowed to have an opinion too. And it drives me crazy to think about an 8-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 10-year-old being told, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. I had a 12-year-old tell me the other day, I'm an atheist. I said, do you know what that means, son? Well, I, I just know. He didn't know what it meant. He's been taught that, though. Well, it's sad. You say, well, you teach your kids there's a God. Absolutely, I do. And you know what? He has the same right to teach his child that, these, that, that, there's, that, that there's no God as I do to teach my kid there is a God. I understand all that. But I have just as much right to express my discontentment with his belief as he has the right to express his discontentment with mine. Amen. I'm about tired of people telling us we can't believe in God that we can't believe the Word of God, that we have no right to talk about a bodily resurrected Christ, that we can't talk, include Jesus Christ in prayer, that we can't do that. Why, why can't we? You're allowed to do what you want. Why can't we do what we want? But let me tell you, whether you believe this or not, according to what I believe and what I understand this Word says, you don't have to agree with God. You don't even have to believe in God, but you will bow before God one day. Because there is a creator, and his name is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. And the truth is today is that God wants us to do it voluntarily before he has to force us. Because one day, he's not coming a lamb, he's coming a lion, and he's going to devour anybody that stands in his way, and he will assume his throne, and he will rule and reign, as he has predicted and as he has prophesied. We serve a mighty God. And he is not just some pushover. He's not just the man upstairs. He is God Almighty. He is holy and righteous. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. In 1984, an Avianca Airlines jet crashed in Spain. Accident investigators found the cockpit voice recorder and they discovered that several minutes before impact, a, a shrill very shrill computer-generated voice from the plane's automatic warning system had told the crew repeatedly in English, pull up, pull up. The pilot was evidently thought that the system was malfunctioning. Some say, and it's debated, I don't know if it's true or not, there's two reports, 
One report says that he said, shut up, gringo. The other report says he went, okay, okay. Either way, same result. He switched the system off. The warning system. And when he did, just minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain. Everybody on board died. Why? He disregarded the warning. He assumed it was a malfunction. And listen, with all my heart, I wish there was no hell. I wish there was no judgment. I wish there was just one place that everybody went. There's a part of me that just wishes for one moment, God, let there only be heaven. But there is a hell. And one day, the Lord Jesus Christ will make right all the wrongs. And he tries to warn us in his word. And he says, even as I promised to come the first time, in Malachi, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and all the prophets, and I fulfilled my promise and I kept my word, so I promise to come again. God, help us to be ready to bow now before it's too late. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? 2,000 years ago, He died on a cross called Calvary. He shed His blood, was buried, and rose again the third day. He did that so that you would have the opportunity to come to Him. He didn't do that so you would be saved. He did that so you could be saved and today you have an opportunity and so do I to receive and accept his payment as payment for our sin to say Lord I know I'm that sinner that you came to earth to die for and I realize that without you I'll never ever make it to heaven I want your forgiveness I want your cleansing and I want you to guarantee me that home you promised me eternal life and he'll give it to you for Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we need to live our life knowing He's coming back. Realizing that we don't know when He'll be back. Today, you have a choice to make. Do you know Christ today? Are you sure heaven's your home one day? If not, you can settle it. You can bow to Him today and humble yourself before Him today. Cry for His mercy today. Receive and accept his salvation today. And avoid being forced to bow later. Do it because you choose it. Receive him now. And avoid later. And as a child of God, will you surrender your life once you've given him your heart? Will you truly live for him as though he could come back today? He could. The rapture of the church could take place. If you know him as Savior, he could come today. You're going to return with him in that day. I understand that. But will you be ready when he comes? Father, we come to you.